0: To a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind and Conversations.
1: Your body is your most priceless possession. Take care of it. Jack LaLanne. We are all aging from conception to birth. We all go through a cycle of growth and degeneration. Thus, aging and death are inevitable. No one lives this life forever. Throughout our lives, we earn wrinkles, gray hair, baldness, and shriveled bodies. We bear the marks and scars of battles won and lost during a life well-lived. As our bodies fade, our wisdom grows and we become more interesting, adding more dimension to our character. Beauty and vitality are entrenched below our skin and they continue to radiate throughout our deteriorating exterior. Mastering the health continuum goes beyond aesthetic vanity and instead focuses on optimizing you on the inside to fuel the flame of your vitality so your inner beauty will long outlive your outer beauty. With an abundance of information available at your fingertips Google, Facebook, Amazon, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest you have endless options for diets, exercise, miracle drinks, recipes fads, and gimmicks. We are inundated with pressure and noise, constantly reminding us of the unrealistic expectations we have set around beauty, health, healing, and aging for that matter. It is an illusion with an impossible immediacy to achieve. There is no one-size-fits-all answer. Bioindividuality is a key consideration when determining the most appropriate plan or program to follow to achieve your health goals. Over the years, many of Dr. Nancy Megan's patients have appreciated her approach to helping them develop an appropriate health strategy based on their unique bioindividuality. Keeping your bioindividuality in mind, you need to know where you are right now on the health continuum what health challenges you are experiencing, and your end goal. You can then efficiently and intelligently sift through your options, determining what will bring you closer to or further away from your goal. Ultimately, what matters most is how you feel about yourself and the progress you make toward your goals. This journey is about you compared to you. You are not in a race against anyone else. Valeria interviews Dr. Nancy Miggins, the author of Mastering the Health Continuum, Eight Daily Practices to Boost Energy, Optimize Health, and Age Gracefully. Dr. Nancy Miggins is a double board-certified doctor of chiropractic specializing in functional medicine. She is the best-selling author of Mastering the Health Continuum, Eight Daily Practices to Boost Energy, Optimize Health, and Age Gracefully. It gives the solution to reclaim your power over your health and achieve your healing potential. Dr. Nancy helps health seekers take the guesswork out of what diet and lifestyle approaches are best for their unique body. She breaks down the science and transforms it into a why that motivates action. Her heartfelt compassion and shameless approach inspires an I-can-do-this attitude. She promotes a radical gradualism approach to complete health transformation. Here is the interview with Dr. Nancy Miggins.
0: In your own words, who is Dr. Nancy Miggins?
2: Oh. <laughs> At least you're going to start out with a really um, easy question. (laughs) 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 I am someone who really has a heartfelt passion to create a next generation health legacy.
0: That sounds really good to me and kind of inspires me to ask you another question, (laughs) one that's not here. What is your idea and understanding of health? What is to be healthy?
2: I think health is more than just the absence of disease. It is optimal physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being, and really, you know, living life to the fullest of your potential.
0: Oh, yeah, that sounds really great to me. Thank you for answering this extra question. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Mastering the Health Continuum, Eight Daily Practices to Boost Energy, Optimize Health and Age Gracefully. I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is about success. What is to be successful? What is success to you?
2: Failing forward. (laughs) I think I spent a lot of my early days seeking perfection, thinking that there was a way to do it and achieve results and have it be perfect. And life goes on and you know, you get a little bit more experienced and you deal with more people and whatever. I think I found progress, progress is more important than perfection and not really giving up when things get difficult, persevering and digging down and finding that that grit to uh, have you take that one more step, failing forward, all the ways that that maybe didn't turn out how you anticipated or planned, but you just keep going anyway and striving towards that that end line or that goal that that you're hoping for.
0: Makes me think about resilience.
2: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) What is the meaning of freedom to you, Dr. Nancy?
2: Oh, freedom. I think... Freedom has more to do with choice and serving your own bioindividuality, meaning we're all unique. There's no one size that fits all. There's no one answer that is the answer for all of us. And while one uh, strategy or whether it be a diet or prescription medicine or supplements or meditation, it may work for one person and it and it just may not be what's right for another person. And so for me, freedom is is kind of that that having that ability to choose and and having options to choose from.
0: If we can see the options in the first place, which is <laughs> it's another chapter. <laughs> 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 At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need?
2: Do you have a vision for a new reality? I think one of the biggest threats that we have towards our health, anyway, has to do with the amount of chemicals being used around the globe. And not, I mean, not all chemicals are toxic or uh, have detrimental effects to our bodies, but. We're, I mean, we're living in a time where it's unprecedented, the number of chemicals being used in commerce, and they're polluting our food, our water, our air, and there's no way around that. There's no way to get away from that. And so those are the things that are complicating our road to achieving health and sustaining it. And even for the next generation. And so I think that the biggest challenge is surrounding how do we how do we clean up our act? <laughs> we become so ingrained with how we do things. You know, it's like this is more efficient, this is more cost-effective, this is more productive. It has a higher yield, faster, right? Cheaper to do, but we don't consider the long-term impact from that. You know, you know, plastic being one of them. And so I think trying to switch gears and look back and go, okay, how do we farm in a more resilient way that'll produce better food and actually food, not just products that can be used in the commercial food production industry, you know, packaged foods, processed foods, you know, all of that that's what we farm for now. We don't farm food. It's engineered, right? Yeah. Um,
0: So I'm wondering if this time, the pandemic time, is an opportunity to reflect upon these issues.
2: I think so. I think that it's hard to know what's actually true and real and what's being decided that it's important for us to see (laughs) as far as, the impact of this. Um, However, just comments that I've seen on social media about air quality in China during the time where there was this brief shutdown and Venice, the clarity of the water and things like that. And it just in such a short time, I think that that's inspiring. It's not like you go, okay, well, in 20 years, we'll realize the changes we make today. While that may be true, it may not take 20 years to actually see progress.
0: Yeah. You're saying that we are seeing right now, like in a few, in a week, we can see the the change. Wow, I like that. Yeah, that's a great vision. And who knows, maybe what happened.
2: I think two people are kind of embracing a little more of the simplicity of life, you know, where they, while we're still obviously very technology centered, um, for our communication and in our ability to continue working, if that's a possibility online or or whatnot, but I think the the simplicity of you know not being on the go 24/7 and having to have this outside-in stimulation constantly, I think that that that's been a a very positive yeah, right. side effect <laughs> of this stay-at-home situation.
0: So I have a few more questions. Uh, the next one has to do with love. What is love to you?
2: Ah, uh, acceptance. And I think that that I always think about uh, about my daughters when I think about love, because it's like this whole spectrum of emotion around what having a child conjures, but also as they grow and you know become adults themselves and whatever. You know, those phases you go through, sometimes you just may not like them all that much. And yet there's just this deep unconditional love where you would do anything to protect them and ensure their safety and their ability to thrive. And so it's complicated, but I think it's, it's about acceptance and seeing someone for who they are and, and loving them in spite of all of that. Or I guess embracing all of that as part of it.
0: What a wonderful answer. Yeah, acceptance, right? What is your understanding and idea of peace?
2: I'm someone who I feel like I have a lot of inner world chaos. (laughs) So I really strive to have outer world peace because that helps me internally calm down and relax, and I guess be present. It's the the chaos I feel is a distraction and peace really comes from a place of being mindful. I know that word is used, maybe overused, <laughs> but being mindful and being present and focused on now rather than, you know, oh, I shoulda, woulda, coulda if I could ever do that over. You no, know, it's that we vacillate between that and the oh my gosh, this could happen, that could happen, you know, fret and worry about future possibilities. And we don't spend so much time, you know, in the moment and connected. And I think that those are elements that that are necessary for peace. And ego comes to mind here when I think about like world peace. I think that there's so many ego-driven agendas that gets in the way of humanity. So true.
0: Yeah. And um, just to clarify, what is the ego to you?
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I guess I want to say it's what society shows you that you should want, not necessarily what your spirit wants or what you need. You know, I think ego is, is very much fed from the outside in versus the inside out.
0: Yeah, that resonates. True. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) And speaking of that, uh, do you see a difference between spirituality and religion?
2: (laughs) Good question. Well, here's here's a little interesting side note. So my background is chiropractic. And historically, going back in time, the purpose of chiropractic was to unite the physical man with the spiritual man. Nothing to do with back pain, nothing to do with headaches, physical symptoms. It was uniting the physical and the spiritual. And the reason was because it used to be that your religious leader your shaman, they were also your, they were your physical healer and they were your spiritual healer. And oftentimes they viewed things as the whole person rather than these separate dimensions. And when modern medicine came about, basically there was this separation of physical man and spiritual man, you know, the religious leaders and shaman and whatnot, they handled the spiritual end of things and the medical doctors handled the physical end. And so hence then when chiropractic was spawned, you know, it, the intent was to rejoin the two because that separation is part of what led to dis-ease, which progresses to disease. So I think personally that religion is a. Practice and spirituality is a relationship. I like that. the
0: practice of a chiropractor is actually to do both healing, the, both worlds, the physical and the spiritual. That makes sense because everything's connected. You can't separate these these elements.
2: And if you're if you're striving to create ease, it's like when there's separation or dysfunction, there's lack of ease, right? And so, again, bringing those together and and in alignment, then that, that creates ease. Yeah, that makes so much sense. This is the end of
0: my warm-up questions. Let's talk about your work. And my first question is, how did you become a writer?
2: <laughs> um, I've been really writing my whole life. You know, I used to write stories as a child and I excelled in English throughout school, I'm an introvert and so writing is most often easier than speaking. Um, but I how I came about writing my book, I've been in healthcare for over 30 years and I, in a variety of settings. So I've, I've worked in, you know, my private practice. I've worked in integrative uh, clinics. I've worked in uh, chronic pain management clinics. I've worked in regenerative medicine clinics. I've done, you know, patient care, but also operations. I've done systems and processes. So that required, you know, writing, you know, all of the how-tos and training manuals and employment manuals and things like that. And so wide birth of experience when it comes to healthcare. And I saw that people really are frustrated. They're frustrated because they can't seem to get results They can't seem to get a consistent answer. Commonly, you know, a provider doesn't have time to, uh, spend to really dig down and find, you know, what's really the root cause of what's, what's behind all of these health challenges, uh, with an individual. And so I started really looking for, for patterns and throughout all the different scenarios that I've worked in, you know, I found that there were Things lacking and those things were what I built my eight daily practices around. And I felt really compelled <laughs> to write my book because I think, you know, I was spending a lot of time saying the same thing over and over and over and over with patients. And I found that I was taking them through these same steps and I was just like, okay, there's got to be a way where I can really formalize this information and help people on a broader spectrum. We've been led to believe that we really don't have power over our own health. Like we don't have what it takes to heal within us, that we need to seek these outside, you know, whether it be a pill, potion, surgery, supplement, whatever, that that's going to fix us. And so I wanted to kind of change that paradigm and help people reclaim power over their health.
0: I take responsibility, right, Dr. Nancy.
2: Take responsibility, own it. I mean, yeah. we've been blessed with this body, and it's really the only vehicle we're going to have during this yeah, lifetime. True. <laughs> and it's like I think that that people we are resilient. However, our body does break down, and if we don't care for it and nurture it and give it what it needs and avoid those things it doesn't, you know, it's really not going to serve us well. But if if we do, you know, take care of it, it it'll last us a lifetime and our, our health span will match our lifespan.
0: That is so true. Yeah, we'll get into the details in the moment. I'll be asking you more questions about the eight practices that you suggest in the book. Uh, But before that, um, I have a question about the process of writing your book. Did you make any discoveries or had insights,
2: new insights? Um, Yeah, I use mind mapping for most of my projects. (laughs) And what I found was that when I started, I wanted to give answers and as I went through the process, I felt I really need to give a strong why. And so I had to kind of reorient my focus to give kind of balance, I guess. So I had a pretty strong outline to start. It didn't take me, I mean, I think it was three months, maybe start start to finish to have my edited or edit-ready manuscript. But I guess I, some aha moments were when I was doing research to support my ideas, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, I, I'm not, I like, I'm not making this up. This is, like, I know what I'm talking about. This is real, you know, because... Sometimes you just go, okay, I I want to I want to do something innovative, but you know, is that just going to get shot down because it's innovative and you don't have substance behind it? And really, I felt like I was giving foundational uh, a foundational perspective, a way to build from the ground up, and I was very pleased that I, there was an abundance of research to support my ideas and theories and philosophy, and so that. That was very encouraging.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that it's just so scientific when we we look at it, the body, how it works. I have one question here for you on that. I think you talk about how the body works and there are some key elements. So I'll ask you that question in a moment. But before that, why do you think most of us don't make health a top priority?
2: I think that there is... One, I think we've been led to believe that we, we have no control. The second thing is we feel that our, our genetic predisposition is our genetic destiny. And we see time and time again where our genes are being turned on and turned off every day, moment to moment, based on our environment. And that's the study of epigenetics. And epigenetics is showing over and over again that, you know, your diet and lifestyle choices have probably, you know, 80 to 90 percent determination over your health outcome where your genetics may only have 10 or 20 percent. Wow! And then I think that we're set up to fail because you go to a grocery store and what is a grocery store full of? I mean, you got, you got a little produce section on the side, but these massive stores are full of processed food. You know, you don't have broccoli and apples and whatever at the checkout. You have candy and gum and (laughs) chocolate and chips. And I mean, it's like, and all of our advertising is geared around this fake food and it's addictive and it's engineered to be that way so yeah we have to you know i'm not saying it's easy it's simple it's not easy but there's a lot of things working against health and there's i mean it's a huge industry
0: yeah so uh so in a way what you're saying is that we are driven to make unhealthy decisions really uh, you said something interesting too here that I wrote. Disease is often a more tangible, immeasurable state of being than health is. Talk to me about that. That's very interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, if we if we watch TV, we listen to the media. I mean, everything is about drugs for a disease, right? You get a label, a diagnosis or whatever, and then there's a pill for an ill. And um lab work. Is like they monitor, but you could be in a, like there's normal ranges and then there's optimal ranges. And as long as you're within a normal range, they're like, everything is good. Even if you feel bad, you're all right. Everything looks good, but there's markers for when it's like, Oh, goody. It's no longer within normal. Now we can do something. Mm, true. Now true. we can manage. They don't talk about curing disease. They manage disease. And so, but we have this idea that this treatment is going to cure us. And nobody's saying that. They're just saying we're going to manage this. And so it's like, we're going to wait until you can be diagnosed and then we can manage you. Nowhere along the way are they saying, here's the things you need to do so you can avoid getting to this point of diagnosis so that we can manage you, right? It's all about do what you're gonna do, and then when all your parts are broken down and you come in carrying them all, (laughs) it's like okay, now we can go to work. So disease is easy to go here. I can label this. I can label that. You know, this is diabetes. This is pre-diabetes. This is insulin resistance. This is you know high blood pressure. This is you know thyroid dysfunction. This is an autoimmune disease. Right? Those things are easy. What's harder is the like health end of things where it's like you have these fleeting symptoms or maybe you're just starting to feel energy depleted or tired, but you're not full blown chronic fatigue, right? When you're just starting to enter into those areas, it's like, you're like, but I feel pretty good all the time, but just sometimes I don't, you know, you think you're still okay. And it's like disease, well, in health, actually, I mean, they take time. Oftentimes disease starts 10 or 20 years before you even get a diagnosis, you know, and then we expect that, you know, in an instant, we're going to turn it around. And the same is for health. You know, it's like things you do, the choices you make day in, day out, they have a cumulative effect, largely determine your health potential.
0: Wow that's fascinating because I know today we have a lot of information out there that people have access to and that they can learn and become more aware of how to take care of themselves, but it still doesn't happen. Another point that you mentioned that we expose to a lot of addictive foods, so even if we want to make a change that's already in our bloodstream in a way the um... right
2: yeah your your brain's been hijacked.
0: Right. So you can't make uh, healthy decisions anyway, even if you know about the choices.
2: I think, too, sometimes people think that they need to completely overhaul their life. Like they try to change way too many things all at once. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm a big proponent of radical gradualism. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I like <So> that. <laughs> taking, taking small steps, but consistently, like really having a plan. Like you start here and then next you do this and then next you do this and then next you do this. And it's not the same steps for every person. Again, there is no one size that fits all. And I think that may add to the frustration and confusion about like, where do I even start? It's true. So
0: you said, you wrote, understanding the key elements behind how your body works will help to remove the fear of the unknown and give you more confidence to reclaim control over your health. So talk to me about these key elements.
2: I focused on a few things that can be checked and monitored at home by yourself, by you, without a physician, and I want to say I'm not, I'm not saying you don't need a physician and you don't need to consult your doctor and all of that because that's an important piece of the puzzle for sure. But these are things that you can check and monitor to get an idea of like where are you falling on this health continuum. One of them is pH. And I talk about the science of this in depth in my book, but basically, most of the processed foods that we consume have an acid effect in our body, and like vegetables, fruit, seeds, they have an alkalizing effect in our body. And so, in an acid environment, the your body has to work harder to like gather the the minerals it needs to buffer the blood because that's its primary goal is to keep that at a strict pH. And so it'll take minerals. If, if the minerals and, and those nutrients aren't available in the food you're eating, then they'll rob them from your bones, your ligaments, your tendons, your tissues in an effort to preserve that blood pH. Well, an acid environment is really a feeding ground. How about that? For a disease, right? And dysfunction, (laughs) you know, it's, there's more free radical production in an acid environment. Um, Cancer cells prefer an acid environment. While it seems very like a simple concept, it's still, it's, it's a way that you can objectively see, okay, where's my, where's my body falling? Am I too acidic? And if so, okay, I need to eat more green leafy vegetables and radishes and quinoa and green tea, those kinds of things versus bread and crackers and steak and whatnot. And so then it becomes, I understand why I need to do this and I can make these changes and measure to see am I impacting? Is, is what I'm doing enough to change environment in my body to shift towards a more health-supporting environment. And so it gives you tools that you can use that you can... I'm not saying... I mean, I do say everybody needs to eat 10 10 to 12 servings of vegetables and two fruit every day. But I'm not saying, okay, you need to eat your vegetables because if you're acidic, if your pH is acidic, you're going to see... My pH is acidic. I need to eat more vegetables. Then you eat more vegetables and you go, okay, it changed, but it didn't change that much. Okay, maybe I need to drink a little less coffee or alcohol or soda or you know what I mean? It's like some people can get away with six servings of vegetables a day, but given the state of most of our health, it's really 10 to 12 servings.
0: A vegetarian diet is a great solution.
2: Yes, it can be. And I lived that life for 20 years. And I have to say, definitely, I felt there were pros and cons. I do like the sustainable farming, environmental, and animal perspective of that, uh, for sure. So it helps. Yeah. Uh, Talk to me about stress. You
0: said something interesting in your book. You say that not all stress has a negative effect.
2: Yeah, stress is a normal, like how your body responds. To, okay, first, let me back up. Stress, what a lot of people don't understand is that stress can be chemical, physical, or emotional, and it can be perceived or real. So the stress in your, in your brain and nervous system, your body responds the same way regardless of the source of stress if you're worrying about something that may or may not happen, your body goes into that state of fight or flight just like it would if you came face-to-face with that saber-toothed tiger. And we're designed to have that big adrenaline push and that cortisol spike so that we could run or fight. (laughs) When there isn't a resolve, (laughs) To that threat, meaning the threat is past. I can relax now, or okay, I ran home, (laughs) or that, that it has this sustained lingering level of stress that it doesn't go away. Your body doesn't shut down. You know, it doesn't shift back to that rest and rejuvenate phase. And we're supposed to be in that the majority of the time with just random spikes of. Of stress, and so we've got this completely turned the opposite way. And when um, stress is high like that, your cells actually have more free radical production, which can damage the DNA. It compromises your energy production. It's like on a cellular level, your health is being eroded with chronic stress. I and I think that that we've just become really desensitized to the amount of stress that we experience on a a daily basis and don't put enough value on those things that help to combat stress.
0: I know you give some suggestions um, in your eight practices. Suggestions, one of them, breathe. Yeah, that's so basic. We forget to breathe. Um, And you talk about different kind of methods, um, the practice for Zen It goes back to relaxation. Um, Yeah. So talk to me about some of the practices. You don't have to go through all of them, but perhaps the most uh, crucial ones.
2: I would say probably the two most surprising ones, at least that I've gotten feedback where people were like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Wow. Right? Or that the feedback has been, This has profoundly changed my life. The first one is the hydration Mm. and drinking water and reigniting our natural thirst instinct. And water is just so crucial. We don't drink enough of it and we tend to substitute other things that have a caloric uh, content. Yeah. You know, whether that be you know, an energy drink or, you know, vitamin water or soda or juice or uh, lattes or that they all have calories. And so the brain becomes confused over, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? And then you get thirsty and you go, I need energy. So you reach for the sugary anything rather than drinking water. And that can have a big negative consequence on on your health. Um, and then the second thing was gratitude and mm-hmm. questions and feedback and, and whatnot after my book came out. And and a lot of people were like, I was so surprised by that. And then I read it and it made sense, but we there's so much negativity and it's easy to be pulled into that and be consumed by that and become, I guess, have this, Attitude of futility or despair, in that it's just all too much to overcome. So it's important to really focus in and be thankful for, for all of the blessings in your life. And regardless of how big or small they may seem, because when we have this practice of gratitude, it wires our brain for optimism. And We then start seeing all of these positive things in life, and we have more to be grateful for and thankful for, and it just expands, right? Because what we focus on, it gets bigger. (laughs) Right,
0: right. And impacts our health and well-being in a direct way. So true. I love one passage in your book, be gentle with yourself, love yourself, be patient and trust the process. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. And I love the way your book is uh, formatted and designed. The exercise, you actually have the graphics. So it shows exactly how to do it. It's a lot of fun <laughs> and well written, wonderful book, really. I have to go back to it. I have a few more questions for you, Dr. Nancy. But before I ask you these questions unrelated to the subject, uh, would you like to add anything or read a passage from your book?
2: I you know what, I don't even have my book <laughs> here with me. So. <laughs> so that's not for that. <laughs> but um no I think I think that you had really great questions
0: wonderful so I have a few more and uh, let me see which ones I'm going to ask you here because I have so many questions I have to um, yeah this one what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself
2: I can't always have it how I want it when I want it (laughs) how about that (laughs) 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 Yeah, everyone can relate to it, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I feel like I'm a, I strive, I'm always striving. I'm like, I feel like I'm always reaching forward. I'm always look for how can I be better, do better. And I think I fail to give myself the same kind of grace that I would give, you know, a patient or a friend or a partner that really coming to terms with that, you know, I don't always get it when I want it, how I want it, when I want it. It has allowed me to kind of go, okay, so give yourself a little bit of a break here. Just because this isn't happening right now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Stay true and, you know, stay on your path.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that leads to my next question about unconditional love. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? (laughs) Yes, (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, I think that 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 is probably way more difficult than unconditional love for others. Just because I think it's easier—I shouldn't say in general in generalities. For me, <laughs> it's easier for me to forgive someone else or accept someone else. Where it's harder to forgive myself or accept fully who I am, who I've, who I've become, because I'm, I'm always, again, looking for how do I become better? How do I, you know, there isn't this pause to go wrap my arms around myself and be like, wow, I'm so proud of you. Love you just right where you are right now.
0: Right, right, right. That's a great practice, isn't it? Yeah. If you knew you would die soon, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently?
2: That's also a really good question. Um, I'm currently, um, at my parents helping to take care of them. My mom just had major surgery and she's the caretaker for my dad who's 100% disabled. And so I agreed to come and help them until she was able to take care of herself and him. And if I were knowing that, you know, my days were short, I would have to say outside of not being and having this time with my daughters that I I will never get this time back with my parents. And so I feel so blessed to be here and be in a situation where I can be here and help them. But for me, it's not about, oh, I, I'd be on a plane because I've never been to Italy or Australia, or I would be, how can I spend time with those people that I love and make the most of my time creating memories kind of with them. Oh,
0: what a beautiful answer. Yes. Yes. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, the three things I know for sure. Yeah. You get out what you put in. Really nothing lasts forever. And all of the tangible items the things that you know you surround yourself with and and all of that I think when it all comes to an end you realize those aren't the things that matter and how simple would life be if if you knew what you knew come like what when you were coming in if you knew what you knew when you were going out like how would you be a force you know in the universe during your time Wow, that would have changed everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> everything. Thank you so much for your presence and your wisdom. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you for having me. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: Uh, my website is www.drnancymiggins.com. And I'm also on social media, Instagram and Facebook, Dr. Nancy Miggins. Thank you
0: so much again, Dr. Nancy. And we'll talk soon.
2: Bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Nancy Miggins, please visit her website, drnancymiggins.com.
0: more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again. Bye for now.